have a question for you this morning. If you had the power to do anything that you wanted, what would you do? If you had the power to do anything that you wanted, what would you do? You can just think about that. What, what would I do? There, there are different times when I would do different things. There are times when I wish that I had great physical strength because there is some task at hand or, or lots of energy, right? That I, I had the energy to do all of the things that I could do. Or there are times when I wish that I could just make more hours in the day so that I could ever get all the way through the to-do list. There are times when I wish that I could just have the money I needed and the resources I needed to cover the needs. The needs for me or the needs for other people. There are, just, there are times that I wish I had the power to just do something. Oh, I wish I could make that happen. Well, the reason that I, I ask that question of you, if you had the power to do whatever you wanted, what would you do? Is because this morning we are going to talk about the source of all power, how we can tap into that power, and what we can do with that power. Okay, so would you uh, look with me right now at Matthew chapter 17? We're going to be reading verses 14 through 20. So Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now he begins, and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeled before him. Where are they coming from? Where are they coming from? Well, in, in uh, Matthew 17, just before this, in the paragraph or so before this, Jesus has been up on the mountain, uh, a very high peak. We don't know exactly which mountain, but up on a mountain with some of his closest disciples, Peter and James and John. And up on that mountain, he was transfigured before them. His appearance changed from his fleshly human uh, appearance to at least a portion of his deity, his godly form, was transfigured before them so that he could, they could see a bit of his glory. And there he was on that mountain talking with uh, Elijah and Moses, and they beheld it, and they went, wow, wow. Because they had already seen Jesus do amazing things, but now they are beginning to recognize Jesus is not just an amazing prophet or miracle worker, but there is something about Jesus. This is, as Peter had confessed uh, just before that, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus, having revealed this to these close three disciples, he's telling them on his way down the mountain, now guys, I want you to wait before you tell anybody about this, okay? I want you to wait before you tell anybody about this. Wait until after I have died and I've risen again from the dead. Then you can tell people about this. They're not going to really get it if you tell them right now. But if I raise from the dead, then you'll be able to say, oh yeah, and also this other thing we saw. Okay, so wait until then. And so he's just finished explaining that to uh, these three disciples. That Okay, you've seen a little bit of my glory and you know who I am, but don't tell anybody about what you saw until we get down uh, to the mountain, down off of this mountain, and I've died and risen again from the dead. And they come off of the mountain and he comes to his other disciples. A, A big crowd is gathered around and this man comes up to Jesus and kneels down before him, right? So we're going from this mountaintop experience with the glory of God being revealed through Jesus to his intimate disciples. The the, uh, bright cloud surrounds them. The voice of heaven speaks out. And now Jesus comes down the mountain and he gets to this guy who says, Jesus, I'm in trouble. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Here's a desperate dad. A desperate dad who has heard about Jesus. He's gone, he's found Jesus' disciples and he's asked them for help because his son is having these seizures that cause his body to convulse uncontrollably and he throws his own body into the fire and at times into the water. It is very dangerous for him. And with our modern eyes, we start to do like when you're watching the medical shows and you're like, oh, I'm going dis- to, dis- oh, I bet I can figure out what it is, right? Somehow we watch like uh, just a couple of, of medical shows and then suddenly, uh, you know, you've watched a, two episodes of Grey's Anatomy or House or something. And so now we are all medical experts. And so I bet if I just read one verse of the Bible, I can diagnose this guy 2,000 years later. And we have temptation to do that and look at this and go, I bet that he has epilepsy. Maybe. Maybe. But I I think that sometimes we we try and uh, diagnose things and say, oh, today this is how we would explain that. This is how we would say this about that from back then. And we just don't have enough information to go on here. Even if we, someone in this room, has the medical expertise to diagnose epilepsy in person, we don't have enough information here from back then, right? So let's not then jump to the conclusion that every time that you have some episode of epilepsy or that we go, oh, hey, this reminds me of this thing that happened in the Bible, and that turned out to be a demonically influenced thing, and so there's a demonically influenced thing over here too. Let's not do that. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. And we don't have the ability to know always. But here we have, these are the symptoms for this guy right here. His son is suffering from seizures. He suffers terribly because it is very dangerous to him. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. 
And he's been dealing with this for some time, and he wants a remedy for his son, and so he's probably tried many things, but of those things that he has tried, he's definitely tried this. Aha, the disciples of Jesus. I've heard great things about Jesus, and I bet that his disciples could help, help me. In fact, I've heard good things even about the disciples of Jesus. Back in Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them. He said, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message that they were supposed to give. And then here was the evidence that their message was true. And then heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, and so give without pay. These are what the disciples have been commissioned to do. Okay, guys. Here's what you do. You go out and just as you have seen me performing these miracles, so you go and you do these same things. You heal the people from their sicknesses. You cleanse the lepers. You cast out the demons. You do these things also to give evidence that the kingdom of heaven is coming. This kingdom that we have been waiting for, the heavenly kingdom of God, is now almost here. And the evidence is that the power of God is at work through me and through you. And so go and do these things. And so there was an expectation on the part of this man and there was an expectation on the part of these disciples that when they would bring this uh, boy who was suffering with seizures to them, they would be able to do something about it. The disciples went, I got this. Heal. Be better. And he says, I, I, I brought him. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. With the clear implication being, Jesus, can you do something? You have these disciples, these followers of you that you have been teaching. Can you do something? They couldn't do it. Whatever you've been teaching them has been of no use to me. Can you do something? Can you imagine from Jesus' perspective? He has been teaching and healing and doing all of these things, and the, the, the disciples have been getting it some and not getting it at other times, but now they finally, it seems like they finally get it, right? He's gone, who do you say that I am? Oh, Jesus. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one of God. You are the son of God himself. This is what we know. Okay. They're starting to get it. And then up on the mountain, he is transfigured before some of his disciples in an intimate way, and they are seeing who he really is. And okay, we are getting it. And you're coming down off the mountain going, okay, now guys, don't tell anybody. And then boom, right there. Oh, by the way, the other guys, the other nine disciples, uh, yeah, they couldn't help. And Jesus is going to. Verse 17. And Jesus answered, O faithless 
and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? Here's Jesus looking around going, does no one get it? Really? Still nobody? You corrupt people. It's a whole generation of corruption. Everybody here, just nothing. No faith. No belief in God. No righteousness. No understanding of who God is and how He works or His ways. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. And I look back at the generation of Jesus and I think, yep, that was a twisted and corrupt generation. And then I start to think about generations in general. And I'm trying to think of a generation that wasn't twisted and corrupt. Can we go back to Moses, maybe? Moses and the Exodus, you know, they, they had God's presence right in their midst. They watched him do these things and provide for them for 40 years. No corruption there, right? No twistedness there. No, definitely. Definitely a faithless generation. How about in the conquering of the land? Nope. The time of the judges? Eh. During the time of David? No. After that, in the time of Jesus, we obviously don't know that's not the case. How about in the time of the church? Nope. How about with all of our progress of humanity? Have we gotten there yet? 200 years ago? 100 years ago? 50 years ago? Today? The problems shift. They change a little bit. The corruption, the twistedness is different from generation to generation. Some of, it is, some of it is exactly the same. And some of it looks different. But I look at this generation and go, boy, this is a twisted generation. And this generation looks back at the generation before and goes, wow, that was a twisted generation. And that generation looks at the generation before and goes, that was a twisted generation. And if you read history, they're all twisted. Not a decent one in the bunch. And here's Jesus in and amongst his generation going, come on, how long do we have to do this? Can parents relate to that? Any parents in here that can relate to that? Come on, how many times do I have to explain it? How many times do we have to go through this? How many times do I have to correct this? How long do I have to put up with you? And that's what Jesus is saying. How long, how long, how long? And I want you to know that is a totally legitimate prayer. 
It is the prayer of David in many of the Psalms. How long, O Lord, do we have to put up with this and wait for you to come and make all things right again? It is the prayer of multiple prophets. How long, O Lord, until you come and make things right again? It is the prayer of Jesus at this time, and it can be our prayer too, that we just throw up our hands and go, how long, O Lord, do we have to put up with this? This is not the way that you created it to be. This is not the way that you intended in the beginning for it to be. How long, O Lord, must we deal with this? And Jesus prays that prayer. How long? How long am I to be with you, O faithless generation? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And in verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. No pause, no hesitations, no what ifs. Just bring him here. Get out. Done. He was healed instantly. From that day forward and forevermore, no more problems with seizures. No more being thrown into the fire. No more being thrown into the water. His life was changed because of a moment's encounter with Jesus. Because just as Jesus had revealed to those three disciples up on the mountaintop, and just as he had been revealing progressively through his teachings and through his healings, he was the source of all power. God himself in flesh. And he was demonstrating it in episode after episode after episode throughout the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels as well. Who is this? This is God in flesh. Is there anything that he cannot do? Is there anything beyond his capability, any trouble he cannot handle? No. He is himself the source. Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Whatever the combination of physical and spiritual ailments that this boy was dealing with, Jesus dealt with them both at the same time. He rebuked the demon that was spiritually oppressing this boy, and he healed him, and so he had no more afflictions. And it, there are times at which you may feel like there is nothing that can help you, right? There are times at which you may feel like you are desperate because there is stuff going on in your life, stuff that you are dealing with, and you go, is there anyone who can help me? You may have reached out to people that you thought were the resources that would be able to help you out of your affliction, and you have found them to be lacking, sometimes outright incompetent, even those ones that were supposed to be able to help. Just like this man went to the disciples and went, hey, you guys should be able to help, right? Nope. 
Anybody? Can anybody help? Yes, there is one. There is one who has the source of power to be able to overcome every affliction and need, and it is Jesus. Bring him here to me, and I will heal him. So what gives? How come the disciples couldn't do it? They had been commissioned to do it. They'd been told to do it, instructed to do it by Jesus. How come they couldn't do it? That's what they want to know. If Jesus is the source of all power, then how are we supposed to tap into that power, Jesus? I thought you told us that we were supposed to do these things. What, What are we doing wrong? Verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? You, you, I, I can just imagine them having that burning question, right? They'd tried. Maybe even multiple of them had tried. There were nine of them down there. That, while three were up on the mountain, there were nine of them there. I can just imagine going, well, I can do it. Oh, well, I can do it. Well, let me do it. Pretty soon, the, nobody's able to do it. So then they are, have this burning question in their minds, why, why couldn't we do it? Maybe this one doesn't come out at all. And then Jesus comes down and boom, no, it's out. No, okay, they can be done. Jesus can do it. Why can't we do it? And so they've got this burning question that is haunting them while all these crowds are about and they're waiting for the crowds to disperse so that they can bring Jesus somewhere privately and go, okay, Jesus, what's going on? What did we do wrong? How come we couldn't do it? Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Wow. Jesus says, you want to tap into this power? You want to plug into the source? Then you're going to need to have faith. You're going to have to believe. Believe in what? Because I have heard this over and over again. If you just believe hard enough, you can be anything you want to be. If you believe hard enough, you can do anything you want to do. You just need to put your mind to it. And I read this and I go, is that what Jesus is telling the disciples? Well, guys... You just didn't think hard enough. Well, guys, you just didn't believe hard enough. Have faith in what? Have faith that Jesus is the source. You see, I I think that we read something like this and we're tempted to think, 
my faith is not strong enough because I can't do whatever I want yet. Because I look at Mount Hood and I think, if I were to tell Mount Hood to move from over there to over there, I don't think he'd move. And a mustard seed is a very small amount of faith, and if it doesn't take very much faith to make Mount Hood move from over there to over there, then I think my faith must be very, very small indeed. Because I don't think I can move Mount Hood. And I think that when I read this passage, my temptation is to think that it is dependent upon my building my faith in my ability. Because I am convinced that I can't move Mount Hood no matter how hard I believe. But the thing that I end up believing in my trying to move Mount Hood is that Mount Hood will move when I tell it to move. Rather than in believing that the God of the universe has the power to do whatever He wants. He is more than capable of moving Mount Hood should He want to. We'll get that, what is it, the Cascadia earthquake? And He'll just move it, and it'll go over there. I won't enjoy watching, but he can do it. He can do whatever he wants. He is the source of all power, and he can do it. But that does not mean that if I have enough faith, I can tell God, God, you need to move that mountain. But if God decides that he wants to move that mountain and he says, Travis, I want to move that mountain, would you tell it to move? He could absolutely do that. I'm not needed in the equation. You're not needed in the equation. The disciples weren't needed in the equation. What needed to happen is for Jesus to say, this is what's going to happen. And he could work through the disciples. The power of God could work through the disciples. And at times, the power of God can work through you when he's trying to accomplish his purpose and nothing is going to keep him from accomplishing his purpose. Even if it seems very difficult or near impossible to us. Otherwise, when I read something like this and it says, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and then I start going, oh, yeah! I'd be like a genie. Ultimate cosmic powers. But the nature of Christianity is not to have faith that I can now have great abilities and powers, but is to believe in the power of Jesus at work in the world. It is the faith and the belief in someone else, not in myself. And I believe that just as Jesus could do that work then, He can do that work now. The power of Jesus is not limited by the fact that we know more now. 
about how science works or how medicine works or anything else. The power of Jesus is still at work in the world. And so then I go, okay, if that's the case, if the power of Jesus is at work in the world and His disciples have been given authority to tell mountains to move, that they can believe with even a very small amount of faith and then great things will happen, then how come I still struggle with small things? How come I still struggle when I am feeling weak and I go, I really need this bookshelf to move from here to there? Forget Mount Hood. I don't need Mount Hood to move. My wife wants this bookshelf over there. How am I going to do that? And I want my faith to be able to be like, okay, I'm going to Harry Potter this thing. As if that's how faith worked. As if faith were just to make my life easier and more comfortable. But as I have been thinking about this faith and looking at how it works, I came across, I, I should say, Hebrews 11 was pointed out to me by one of the other pastors. And as I was reading through Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read you a fairly large section. It's eight verses, and I want you to listen. I want you to listen to these um, stalwarts of faith. Some of you may know the stories behind them. Who these great people of faith were and what they did and what their experience was. Okay, let's just listen for a moment. Hebrews 11.32 What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who... Through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, who were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back, from, received back their dead by resurrection. Wow. Okay, Gideon and Barak and Samson, were these great people of faith? Gideon, the one who was hiding in a well because he didn't want God to find him? Barak, who said, would you send somebody along with me so that I can be successful in this war because I don't think I can do this by myself. Would you send a woman to go with me? Samson, who hardly understood his own strength, let alone what to do with it. Even David and Samuel, like, these are flawed people who are highlighted for their faith, and then we read these lists of accomplishments and go, wow, look at what they accomplished, look at what they did, look at how they overthrew people and raised people from the dead and who were conquering, leading conquering armies. But let's not stop halfway through verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. 
Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. That is the fulfillment in Jesus. You see, the things that these great people of faith got glimpses of in the powerful working of God in moments of their lives that we like to remember and celebrate those moments of victory in their lives were merely glimpses of what was going to happen through the power of Jesus in His death and resurrection. This ultimate fulfillment that you and I now get to see and participate in as followers of Jesus, as Christians who believe in His death and resurrection and its its powerful work in us. And we like to minimize and or forget the rest of the stuff that happened to those great saints of faith. We want faith to mean we get all the victories. We want faith to mean that we have no more defeats, that we have no more anguish, that we have no more pain, because if I can tell a mountain to move, then why should I have to endure anything? It is because you are a follower of Jesus. And that is His way. Jesus Himself, the God of creation, humbly taking on flesh, And telling his disciples, yes, both I am the Messiah, the king of the universe, who is ushering in the kingdom of heaven, and also the suffering servant who is going to die for the salvation of many. And so it is our expectation as his followers that we will walk in his steps and and suffer a similar fate. That these great Heroes of the faith who we remember their victories also had these things, right? They were stoned, sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering in deserts and mountains and hiding in dens and caves of the earth. Because when we are tapped into the power of God, we can find that like through the disciples that when they eventually got it and through Jesus, that power can flow toward the salvation of people who need hope in God. And for those of us who are the conduit for that source of power, for them to find that healing from their afflictions and their troubles, we find that it is the sustaining power in our time of need as well as we undergo those same afflictions. You see, when Jesus commissioned those disciples, 
Back in Matthew chapter 10, let me find that back. Matthew chapter 10, right? And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, right? You remember that part? Here's what he continues on to say just a few verses later. In verse 16, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father who is speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. The, child, the father, his child, and the children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then I find myself holding my plug and going, do I really want to plug in? I know the source of all power. The source through whom I could say, mountain, move, and that mountain would move. The source through whom I could say, be gone, and the demon would be gone. The source through whom I could heal those who are afflicted and provide hope and comfort to them. And when I plug in, it will for me be strength to endure through all of the sufferings of life. And I'm guaranteed to get those. I'm plugging in. Isn't that different? Isn't that different than thinking that we have somehow been given some sort of special power, some sort of special incantation, that whatever we want, we can just say, be done, and it will be done? That is not what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means is to have faith and to believe that the power of God is at work in the world and can do it, and He can and does work through us. I don't know why, but He does. Maybe it's because in our frailty and our weakness, when He works, He is glorified all the more because we go, there is no way I could have done that. I am too weak and too pathetic to accomplish anything like that. I cannot glorify myself in this. I must give glory only to God. And so, I lay before you this morning the source of all power. And I want to tell you that the way that we plug into that is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that His Holy Spirit is still at work in the world among us. We are believing that and that He can accomplish all of His purposes, whatever they may be, even through the likes of us. So are you going to plug in? That's why over Holy Weekend we had hours and hours of prayer. Because we know that our faith is weak. Our strength is weaker yet. And we are highly dependent on the God of the universe who sent His Son for us. I invite you to plug in. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, how great is your name. How awesome are your deeds in all the earth. May all the nations bow down in awe of you. May all of creation sing your glory. Father, you are worthy of all of that praise. And yet we find among us and around us the brokenness of your creation. This sin-tarnished place, this twisted and faithless generation. And around us, creation is groaning, longing for the restoration of all things, and we along with it. We groaning in these more we groaning as we see uh, the twisted generation that is around us and we ask, Lord, how long must we wait before you renew all things? Would you strengthen us? Would you be our sustenance as we struggle through this life? as we endure hardships, those that are normal for life and those that we suffer particularly because we are followers of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us. We pray that you would use us, that we would not shrink back from opportunities that you put before us to see your power at work through us for the healing and the restoration of others. May we be willing conduits of that power and recognize where the source is and give glory to you at all times. And Father, would you help us to endure to the end? We ask this in the name of Jesus, who is our King, our example, our salvation. Amen.